Can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Cool. Good morning, everyone. Again, it's so lucky to be here on this summer's day. Um, it was an emotional week as we said farewell to our friend Sheshi. Um, and it's lucky to be together on uh, today just to enjoy Jesus, receive from him. So, um, I was thinking I was going to tell you something about me that you probably don't know, if you're interested. I know I'm not the main deal here, Jesus is, but I had a story that I was reminded of in preparation about me. So if you've got your sunglasses, you might want to put them up. If you're easily offended, you might want to close your eyes, but I'm going to show you a scar on my body, okay? I just need to suck my tummy in. <laughs> but you see this thing here. Don't zoom in too much on the camera. Might scare some people. So this uh, scar happened to, came about when I was about six years old. And uh, I had a, a major injury in our garden at the time. Um, long story, you can ask me after coffee what exactly happened. But what the result of it was that my spleen was burst, which is quite an important organ. If, if you didn't know. And I had the stomach pain that wouldn't go away, no matter how many disciplines my mom gave me. I, she just kept giving me those like extra strength disciplines, and then nothing happened. And so eventually, she thought, no, I need to do something else. And so she got hold of the doctor. The doctor heard the story. And he said, no, we need to actually send him for an, uh, an x-ray. So in the middle of the night, we rush off to the Edenvale Hospital uh, to get an x-ray. Turns out I've got this major internal bleeding going on, and in fact, I'm about to die. And so this surgeon, uh, they rushed me into surgery, and I want, what I'm wanting to do is I want you to imagine that you were my mum. Little boy, delightful little boy. <laughs> and she's suddenly faced with the reality what she thought was just a garden injury, a couple of disciplines would solve, my life was hanging in the balance. But there was a moment when Butch Cochran, the doctor, who I'll never forget his name, he saved my life, he came out of the operation and he said to my mom, there's a journey ahead, but he's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And I just want you to think for a moment, imagine what my mom felt in that, in that moment. Like, it's going to be okay. From a few hours before, being fearful that she was going to lose her son. And as I came to prepare for this message this morning, I felt like God wanting to communicate, it's going to be okay to you. I was reminded of the phrase that Jesus used when he was in the boat and there was a storm, and he said, peace, be still. And he was speaking to the storms in their life at the time. And I feel like God wants to say, peace, be still, to those things that are causing you anxiety this morning, that are causing you stress. The reason he can say that is because he actually is in control. He is the king of the whole universe with all power in his hands. 
And so look, if I said to you, don't worry, it's going to be okay, that's a little bit trite, because actually I've got no power or authority to actually make it okay. But when Jesus says, peace, be still, he actually can. He is the king of a kingdom that will never end. In Isaiah we read, um, it says, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is who we're talking about. This Jesus who is king of this kingdom. And so if you're a Christ follower this morning, you can be sure you can be sure he is in control and he will see you through to the end. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a disciple of Jesus, well, I'm hoping that as I tell you a little bit about him, you might be interested to actually pursue knowing him better. And I want to recommend him to you because actually when, when you find him come into your life, you can experience oil on stormy waters in your life. You can experience that. So let's pray, and then we're going to get to the text. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of gathering like this. And I pray that you would cause worship to rise in us this morning as we behold Jesus. Father, help us see him and know him and love him appropriately. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, so the text we have for this seventh part of our Kingdom Come series is chapter 8 and 9 of the book of Matthew. Now, I think you should open your Bibles just to see how much text there is in chapter 8 and 9 of the book of Matthew. Clearly, our preaching pastor over here, Pastor Chedeva, thinks I'm able in 20 minutes to unpack two chapters of the book of Matthew. He has a lot more faith in me than I have in me. But we're going to do our best. I want you to open your Bible because I'm going to give us a survey of these two chapters. And I want you to be sure that I'm not just fibbing. Okay? So you can just follow along as I, pre as I take us through. I'm giving you a survey. I'm just giving you the highlights of these chapters. Okay? You ready? Here we go. It starts off with a leper coming to Jesus and he says, If you will, make me clean. And Jesus says, I will be clean. He then heals a centurion's paralyzed servant. The centurion comes to him, he says, just say the word and he'll be clean. You don't even have to come to where he is, just say it. Because I understand how authority works. You're the king, you can make him clean. Jesus' response to him is, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Go, let it be done as you have believed. And at that instant, the servant, miles away, was healed. He then rocks up at Peter's house. His friend Peter gets to Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law has got a fever, which he immediately heals. Matthew then says, and he healed many and cast out demons from the oppressed. He carries on working late into the night. They then, next day, they head out onto the sea. They get in the boat, him and his friends, and they're heading across the lake of Galilee. And they're in the middle of the lake. Jesus is sleeping. Storm comes up. They wake him up, and he rebukes the wind and the waves, and it goes calm. They get to the other side of the lake, and immediately these two demoniacs come running up at them. 
you know, come running out of the tombs, it says, and he cast the demons out of them into the pigs. They then chase him out of there, and he goes to another town where he heals a paralytic man. This is the man, you may have heard the story, his friends carry him to Jesus. There's too many people, they can't get in, so what the oaks do is they break a hole in the roof. So the guys are busy, they're having their meeting, next thing, dust starts falling, next thing there's a dude being lowered down, and Jesus heals him. But get this, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and this sends the religious people ape. I mean, they're like, who do you think you are? How dare you? Jesus says, what is it easier to do, to heal the body or save the soul? I'm saying this so that you might know that I have authority and power to do both of these. That's what he was on about. And he heals the paralytic man, but he saves his soul as well. In fact, he says, which is easier to heal the body or save the soul? He goes from there and he calls Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. In Israel, the tax collector wasn't working for God's kingdom. They were working for the enemy. But actually, I want to suggest that Matthew was working for the kingdom of money because he was serving money first. Because as tax collector, he would have enriched himself. Jesus says, come, follow me. I'm coming to eat at your house. He comes. He's eating at his house. Again, the religious people go wild. How can he be with these bad people? And listen to Jesus' response. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Isn't it beautiful? Goes from there. He gets called by this guy called Jairus, one of the leaders in the synagogue. My daughter's dying. Please come and save her. On his way there, another woman who's had a 12-year hemorrhage touches him, and he heals her. Then he gets to the daughter who's now died, and he heals her. He says to the, the woman who touches his cloak, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. He gets to Jairus' daughter, and they all, you know, the funeral stuff has kicked off. And he says, don't be ridiculous. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And they laugh at him. And he goes and he raises her from the dead. From there, we see he heals two blind men. These two blind guys are crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. By calling him son of David, they're acknowledging him as the Messiah. So check his response. According to your faith, be it done to you. And they're healed. He then, fairly simple one, he casts a demon out of a guy who couldn't speak, and immediately the mute man can speak. And then chapter 9 finishes. I'm getting tired getting through this. Huh? I mean, this is like better than any James Bond new release, you know? He declares the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And Matthew records this. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, as I said, this is quite phenomenal. This is just two chapters. I mean, like, this is incredible stuff, what's going on here. It's just action. It's all happening. And there are three things I want to 
show us from this. I'm sure there's more, but there's three I want us to consider. Number one, we see that Jesus is king over sickness and disease. Secondly, we see Jesus is king over Satan. And finally, we see that he's king over creation. You see, by his coming, he inaugurated the coming of his kingdom. And his kingdom is greater and larger, more powerful, more uh, dominant than anything else that would set itself up against him. And Matthew shows us here how he brought this kingdom to earth. I mean, these two chapters are phenomenal. Phenomenal. So let's look at this. Firstly, king over sickness. This full of, I mean, this whole section is full of stories of healing and, and life coming. But I want to pick the one in chapter 9, verse 18 to 25 to, for us to, to look at. This is the one with uh, Jairus and, and the woman. Behold, Matthew writes, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter's just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Instantly, the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. They laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And for me, this short passage, these stories that are kind of intertwined with one another, show us how Jesus is king over the worst human distresses that we can deal with. The worst. I mean, both these situations were hectic. They were overwhelming. It says that this woman had suffered for 12 years. She'd spent everything she had in other uh, stories around the story, other um, gospels that tell the same story. She'd spent all she had to get help. And at every opportunity, she had been disappointed. Imagine Jairus. He'd seen his daughter fading away from him. His My daughter's 12 at the moment. She's the, she's the most amazing 12-year-old on the planet. I can imagine her just fading away and just watching her slipping away from life. So both these situations seem completely impossible. And yet both show great faith in Christ. You see, both of them say, if I can just touch. The woman, if I can just touch his garment. Jairus, if he, you can just touch my daughter. They exhibit great faith in Jesus. Now, the woman wasn't meant to be touching anyone because she was ceremonial un ceremonially unclean. She had this issue of blood. She shouldn't have been in the crowd. She shouldn't have been touching anyone. So she goes secretly to just try and, and get her healing. Jairus also was facing some challenge. I mean, again, if you look at some of the parallel accounts, the news that the daughter died comes while he's with Jesus. So he comes initially hoping that Jesus can save her before she dies. Then he hears the news, no, sorry, dude, she's gone. 
And it says in Mark's gospel, Jesus says to him, just believe. Just believe. And Jesus encourages them. He encourages them both. And both get to experience his kingship over sickness and disease, over death. Now, what I love about the story, both of these accounts, is Jesus is so gentle. His compassion is shown. His gentleness in the way that he deals with both of them is so beautiful. But what I want us to see here is when the kingdom of God comes, when Jesus' kingdom comes, sickness and death must go. Sickness and death have no place. And we live in a time where his kingdom has come, but it's not fully here. And so we live in this, this in-between place where it's like the, the illustration of World War II where D-Day has been won. The Allies are pushing in on the Nazis to crush the Nazis. But the surrender hasn't come yet. And that comes when Jesus comes back. And so when Jesus comes back, there'll be no more sickness, no more death. His kingdom will be fully come. We live in a time of the now and the not yet where it has come in part but not fully come. Which is why sometimes we pray for the sick and they get healed and sometimes we pray and they don't. But every time we pray, what we're praying, when I'm praying for the sick, I'm thinking, I'm wanting to pull that kingdom down into the here and now. I'm saying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Heal this one. Now, John Wimber was known to say, John Wimber led the vineyard churches in the 1990s or so. John Wimber said, he said, we never used to pray for healing and no one was healed. Now we pray for healing and some are healed. And, and that's our experience too. In fact, less get healed than do get healed when I pray for them. That's not going to stop me praying. It's not going to stop me praying for the sick because actually we need to keep praying. Jesus said we should pray. So the application is, if you're sick here today, don't leave without letting us pray for you. We're going to, at the end, we're going to pray for the sick. Guys, I want to encourage you. Pray for the sick. If a friend at work says, oh, I've got this issue, what, what, what? Say, can I pray for you? Let's trust God that this kingdom would break in more and more in our city. Secondly, chapter 8, verse 28 to 32. King over Satan. The text tells us he cast out a few demons, but I'm picking the most dramatic one. This is the encounter with the pigs. So two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? You like my demon voice? Yeah. <laughs> Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. The demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. I want us to see the demons knew who he was. Huh? Son of God. They knew him. They knew exactly who he is. And the story demonstrates that Jesus has authority in the spiritual world. Full authority. They don't have any choice but to obey him. He's king of kings, lord of lords. There's no one who touches them. They're not like yin and yang. No, Satan is there. Jesus is supreme. Hey, there's some Pentecostals in the house. 
When he rebukes a demon, it must obey. It must obey him. Now, there's an encouragement for us. You see, if you are suffering under any form of oppression, if you're feeling stuck or trapped, guys, there's nothing that is holding you back, holding you down, that Jesus is not more powerful than, that cannot set you free from. But there's a warning here too. As I look at this passage, I can't help but notice that when Jesus comes, the pigs go. Now, I'm the only one who ever thought, this is Israel. Pigs are unclean. What is this dude doing, whoever it was, farming pigs? Now, I've got a few Jewish friends who like bacon. You, do, you might do too. No disrespect to my, my Jewish friends. But clearly, this farmer was chasing the money because there were people buying pigs. But here's the thing. In our life, if we want the presence of God, if you want Jesus, there might be pigs in your life that need to go. The way that you've been operating in relationships, the way that you've been operating in work, the way that you've been treating people, there some, might be some piggish behavior or piggish stuff going on. If you want Jesus, that's going to go. It might make you poorer, like this farmer. And the question for us is, do we want the presence of God or do we want the pigs with the money that comes with them? Then finally, we see his king over creation. This is the peace be still. This is where I started. We're going to finish with this. There's a story in the middle of our narrative where Jesus and his mates get on the boat. I'm going to pick this up, chapter 8, verse 24. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. They went and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. These guys are in a terrible situation. They, they're in a bad situation, but they react even worse. They freak out. They freak out. Now, I don't know if any of you are prone to this. I have to confess I am. Sometimes I find life overwhelming, and I just... I just want to freak out. I just, I feel paralyzed. I'm like, like Lauren will find me and I'll just be going, ah! It's normally to do with DIY. <laughs> but like sometimes life can be overwhelming and you just don't know what to do and you freak out. We can become hopeless. We lose hope. It's like, this is all rubbish. There's no point. We're all perishing. I may as well give up. It's done. Any of you ever get there? Am I the only one? There are a few honest people. Maybe some of you at that point start blaming others. Uh, there's a wonderful parallel account of this. I think it's in Mark as well. Where they wake him up and they say to Jesus, Don't you care? Like, look at this. They start blaming Jesus for their predicament. Don't you care? So when I'm at my worst, I start blaming Lauren because I'm in this situation. 
It usually happens when we feel out of control. We, we, we hopeless. And in the midst of this, Jesus gets up and he quiets the storm. He says, it says he rebukes it. And get this, immediately it's still. I've, just, I've been thinking a lot about this the last few days. There was that hectic thunderstorm we had the other day. One of those when it is loud and banging and there's wind and rain. I began to think, in that context, Jesus just saying, peace, be still. Or storm, be quiet. And immediately, it says immediately it was quiet. I thought, who is this? Who is this? What do they say? They say, what sort of man is this? The winds and the sea obey him. I want us to notice that he also rebukes them. He rebukes the storm, but then he actually rebukes them as well. He says, oh, you of little faith. They had shown very little faith in him to this point. But he's just demonstrated to, him, to them that actually they need to be showing a lot of faith in him. They need to be putting all of their faith in him because actually he rules the wind and the waves. He rules all of the universe, all creation at the word of his mouth. He commands it. This is the dude who was sleeping in the boat because he had had a long, hard day of ministry and he was tired. And yet, he's also the ruler of all creation. It's a beautiful coming together that he's weak enough that he needs to sleep, that he falls asleep, his humanity that he's taken on, and yet strong enough to rule the waves. I want to remind you, Jesus can cope with any and every situation or emergency you find yourself in. He can handle it. He can cope with it. And the thing about his humanity means that he understands the way you feel in the midst of it. See, the Bible says he took on humanity. He was a 100% man. So he knows how it feels to be a man facing a hopeless situation. He, he knows how you feel in that situation. He, can, he has compassion. He can identify fully with where you are. But he's also God, and he has the power to change it. He has the power to bring you through that. See, the gospel teaches us that this 100% man, 100% God, was put on a cross and killed. Not because he did anything wrong, but because you and I did stuff wrong. This is the good news of the gospel, that he took our place, that he was punished in our place. But get this, death could not hold him. It could not hold him. He rose glorious and victorious. And today we have a man in heaven. Jesus is the first human, the first man in heaven. What storms are there in your life where you're needing to hear him say, peace, be still. Peace, be still. Because he's here. He's among us. He's the one we worship. He's the one we adore. And he's alive and large and in charge. He is the king on his throne. His kingdom has come. If you're a Christian, you have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of Jesus. And he's your king. And he's mighty and powerful to deliver and to save you. If you are not yet a Christian today, you can say, 
I want to come into that kingdom. I want to know what it is to be under this kind of king. Let's stand together. I'd love to pray with us, and then we're going to worship him. Lord Jesus, we marvel at you. When we read these passages and we see how you went around showing compassion to broken humanity, we, we, just, we just love you again, man. Jesus, we worship you. You're King of kings, Lord of lords. I'm so grateful that you're here among us. I'm so grateful that you're strong and powerful to deliver and to save and to rescue. I'm so grateful that you can pour oil on the troubled waters of our lives. I pray that, Father, you would pour out your Spirit on us. As we worship Jesus, as we lift Him up, I want to pray that we would experience your power at work in us, your Spirit moving in and through us in these coming minutes and hours and days. Ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.